we've got to keep our minds set on that, our minds committed to that, our minds clear to that, and our hearts affixed to that. Thanks for joining us at the Hope of Our Calling. Let's get started in our study of First Peter. Well, hey there, and welcome back to Hope of Our Calling and our study of First Peter. Wow, it has been an incredible study so far, and this week is no different. We are studying First Peter and readying our minds for battle. Uh, so last week we talked about, um, how the Holy Spirit had put on the hearts of the prophets to write the prophetic things that happened then and are happening now and are still yet to happen. And the question that I brought up is what do you think was happening inside of their hearts and minds to actually put pen to paper and trust the Holy Spirit moving within them? And then the question, could we do likewise? Could we get to that point of that absolute surrender and loving God so much and seeing his power moving through our lives that we would re- we'd just have that fine-tuned relationship with God's Spirit in us, telling us this is the way, walk in it, without that doubt. Um, remember, that's Satan's tool, doubt. So, Kind of what we're going to talk about today is that girding up the loins of our mind and and teaching ourselves through God's word. How do we do that? How do we get our mind steadfast on the things of heaven? So I hope that you are blessed. So let's go. All right. So we are in First Peter chapter one, verse thirteen through sixteen, and it starts off with. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end, for the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. All right, so we already know that this was a time of persecution, and Peter was talking to all the dispersed believers. He was talking to them about the persecution they were going through. But keep in mind, Peter at this point was completely consumed by the Holy Spirit, and I believe he also had a sense of the persecution that was to come. This was the time period of Nero, Emperor Nero, who was a mad man. And so Peter was trying to get every Christian to examine their hearts and try to determine how deeply they loved the Lord and they loved the things yet to come. There was a term that I heard recently called a tattooed Christian, and basically the reference was that their Christianity was only skin deep. It didn't really affect their heart and their minds, though they looked like a Christian and they carry on like a Christian. There was still no change. 
no transformation in their hearts or minds. And Amy Carmichael once said that she holds people to the highest. In other words, we must encourage one another to hold ourselves to God's standard and not our standard. And God's standard at the conclusion of our scriptures today says to be holy as I am holy. So that's what Peter is encouraging the saints to do. And he's teaching us through his words to us. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus said to the disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Do you remember what Jesus said in the garden? He said, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But then immediately followed it up with nevertheless. That is a deep and profound word. Every true believing born again Christian must accept that every day in all our ways we acknowledge him and we let him direct our paths merely by saying, nevertheless, thy will be done. So Peter, when he says, wherefore gird up your mind, before we can get into the exercise of girding up our minds, we have to take on that very first word. We have to remember what it's there for. And what it's reminding us to do is kind of look back to the first 12 verses where we talked about being pilgrims and being co-inheritors and having a living hope and that we're kept by the power of God for His glory and how the prophets were used by the Holy Spirit to give us understanding and how the angels were so perplexed are still so perplexed at this thing called salvation that God loves his creation created in his image so much that he will construct that trying of our faith in each and every day because our faith is what? It's more precious than gold. Saints, please receive that. Our faith is not only the currency of heaven, it's how we walk through this life because this world is anti-Christ. This world is anti-God unless it's a God they create themselves, similar to what Paul talked about. You make a God out of wood or the same wood you make your fire out of. You you take a piece of, apart and you carve a little God and you bow down to it. And it has eyes, but it cannot see. It has ears, but it cannot hear. It has hands, but they cannot move or touch or hear heal, or feed, or raise from the dead. There is one true and living God. John fourteen six proclaims it well. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one, no one, no one comes to the Father but by me. And the glorious grace that we have is when Jesus, after being brutally, brutally beaten and nailed to a cross, the first thing he said was, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They know not what they do. 
But we have his loving testimony through his word teaching us what is it that we do that drives the nails into your hands? What is it that we do that whipped your back and opened it up and made it bleed? And what is it that we do that plucked the beard from your face? What is it that we do that caused the thorns to be pressed into your brow? What is it that we do that caused your death? burial. And then the blessing is, what is it that you did when you raised from the dead to give us newness of life? What is this grace that the angels look upon and scratch their heads? There is an old song, a stanza that was quoted, and I haven't been able to dig up the entire version, but this is what it said. It said, I want to be a follower of Christ. I want to be one of his disciples. I want to walk in his beautiful light, so let me be a follower of Christ. What do I have to do? What do I have to say? How do I have to walk in each and every day? Tell me, what does it cost if I carry the cross to let me be a follower of Christ? All right, so gird up the loins of your mind. Now, what I want to point out before we go any further is there are five points in our scriptures today that we really need to take a look at. We need to look at girding up our loins. We need to look at being sober and hoping to the end. We need to look at being obedient children. We need to look at not fashioning ourselves according to the former lusts, and we need to look at being holy as he is holy. So right now, we're going to start with gird up the loins of your mind, because that's truly where it begins. The battle is for the mind, and the one that has your mind has your life. Now, We don't quite understand what girding up means because it was an ancient custom when people wore long robes. But those long robes that went down to their ankles became very cumbersome and restrictive. So in order to gird themselves up to do any type of work or running or anything or service, So basically what happens is you're in a long robe, so you take between your legs, you take that back part of the skirt, you pull it between your legs and you tuck it in your belt, and all of a sudden you're wearing pantaloons, which makes it easier for you to get busy, get busy to do the work that you need to do, to run whatever race is set before you. So the meaning here is get busy, go to work, get your mind busy on the things of heaven. Gird up the loins of your mind. And again, like I said, the battle is for our minds and our enemy is relentless. In my studies, I found out that in a 10-year period of the Vietnam War, there was almost a half a million bombs dropped. Do you know what that equates to? That equates to about 137 bombs a day. A day. That, to us, might be mind-boggling, but what I want to show you in that is that we have an adversary who's way worse than that. 
He will take any opportunity to sidetrack you, to divide you, to sow his seed of doubt. All the more important for us to be busy in our minds about the things of God and transforming our minds by the power of his Holy Spirit in us, basically surrendering our minds to the things of God. There's no way we can be holy. We have no act of righteousness that can attain that. But when we soak our minds, we do our part. And I'll tell you, 99% of scripture is God's part. And that 1% of ours is basically saying, I surrender, Lord. I trust you, Lord. I believe you, Lord. I am committed to you, Lord. The problem in our world, which makes it difficult, is that godly values are under attack in our world. People want to remove the Ten Commandments. They have successfully done so. They want to remove memorial crosses. They have successfully done so. They want to tear down Christians. They have successfully done so. I think about how Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. And then I think about our social media and our movies and Hollywood and our politics and fake news. He is the prince of the power of the air. He is a quintessential weaver of lies and deceit and division. And he feeds on the emotions of mankind. Let me encourage you, saints, that feelings are just feelings. They're not right or wrong. They're just feelings. But they can be the playground of Satan if we're not careful. All the more reason to keep our eyes on the promises of God. Think about it. When Eve was in the garden, what did she have? She had everything. She had everything but one thing. And what did Satan get her eyes on? He took her eyes off of everything and put them firmly by the seed of doubt on the one thing she didn't have. Count your blessings, saints. Stop focusing on the one thing that relationship doesn't give you and focus on all the things it does. Stop focusing on the one thing that job doesn't give you and start focusing on all the things that it does. Focus on the things that you do have. Kay Smith once said that when you're having difficulty in your mind and the things that you need to do, the exhortation is to simply please God. Is what you're doing pleasing God? Use that as a filter. And if that's your filter, you will find that you won't be struggling your heart and mind's desire will be to please God. Prepare for action. The Life Application Study Bible says, The imminent return of Christ should motivate us to live for Him. This means mentally being alert or thinking clearly. It means being disciplined or exercising self-control. And it also means to be focused, looking forward with hope. That's where our minds need to be. And we need to take that control over our minds. And remember, we are set for a kingdom not of this world. Are you thinking about that all the time? Are you thinking what it's going to be like to be the bride of Christ facing her groom? 
are you thinking about ruling and reigning with him? Being that royal priesthood? You need to see that because we're being groomed for all of that right now. We're being prepared for all that right now. All the more reason to gird up the loins of your mind. Take hold of your thoughts and hold them captive. Second Corinthians chapter 10, 5 says, We demolish arguments and every arrogance that raises itself up against the knowledge of God. And here it is. We take every thought captive and make it obey the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, in John, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we take every thought captive to God's Word. It's our standard. It's our plumb line. It's our compass. Are you doing that with the thought in mind? The end result, the end of this journey is Jesus. Chuck Colson wrote, It is as it has been from the beginning, a spiritual battle between belief and unbelief in God. And Satan is relentless in his attacks on trying to make you not believe. Lack of trust is a form of unbelief. Remember our acronym for faith? Fabulous adventures in trusting him. It's a choice, saints. It's a choice. Just simply choose to trust him. Learn his word. Let it seep into your hearts and minds. And then exercise what you learn in it. Trust him. Peter is saying, gird up the loins of your mind. He's basically saying, listen to what I have to say. Listen to these instructions. In 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 8, it says, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation, that living hope. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what we're looking for, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we have got to keep our minds set on that, our minds committed to that, our minds clear to that, and our hearts affixed to that. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, it says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek, action word, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, and then set your mind on things above and not things on the earth. That's the battle, saints, to keep our minds steadfast on the things of God. Now, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, we all know this, but the reminder is good, right? Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, Whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, and here it is, meditate on these things. 
It is so easy in this world that is a sea of information for our minds to be pulled off course. But our course is Jesus. If there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, and here it is, meditate on these things. Saints, take every thought captive that would exalt itself against the knowledge of Christ. And then Jude verse 21 says, Keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Saying, this is how we be sober. We seek those things above. We set our minds on the things above. We meditate on Jesus and we keep ourselves in his love, the knowledge of his love on the cross at Calvary. Be clear headed. Have good judgment by studying God's word. Walk soberly and righteously before the Lord. Walk alert, aware, and watching. Be ready. We are in a battle. And hope to the end. That basically means hope completely. Banish the doubt. Do not allow it a minute of your time to ponder it. Forsake doubting. Commit yourself to the living hope you know to be true by the experience of the Holy Spirit living in your life. Remember the hymn, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. When all around my soul gives way, He still is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. Keep your eyes on the future with him, that revelation of Jesus Christ. Kay again once said, oh how glorious, when this shell won't even be there to weigh me down anymore, and the flesh won't be pulling us in the wrong direction, and there won't be the internal warfare or the external warfare, but we will be like him, like our Lord Jesus Christ. I love that. The next exhortation is to be obedient children. And the contrast is, don't be compliant children. In other words, don't do it just because you're being told to do it. Think of Cain and Abel. You have an example of an obedient child and a compliant child. And the outcome of that was hatred and murder as the compliant child murdered the obedient child. It's about love and trust, which comes about in our obedience. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, Samuel's talking to Saul, who forsook the law of the Lord. And Samuel says, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And why, saints? Because God knows everything. He knows everything. He knows those things that will hurt us now and in the future and have hurt us in the past. He wants to keep us from that. 
It's not a dictator telling us to obey him. It is a heavenly perfect father saying, Be careful, my beloved child. Follow me. And then the next exhortation is not, excuse me, not to fashion ourselves according to the former lusts in the day of our ignorance. In other words, don't be tempted to go back to the old ways. Those ways that led us into the path of destruction, those mornings of hangovers, those mornings of shame, those mornings of waking up, finding that we were so old while we were still so young. God is calling us into the pathways of righteousness that he might instill in us a new life. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, it says, In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. We are not to live like we used to live when we were ignorant to the truths of God. We're not to live like we lived before we were born again by God's spirit. The natural man was ruled by the lust of his flesh, but the spiritual man, that born again spirit, is ruled by God's spirit. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 7, it says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife has made herself ready. Saints, we're part of the bride of Christ. We need to be busy about making ourselves ready for that day of meeting our groom. In Titus chapter 3, verses 3 and 7, it says, For we ourselves were also once disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness of the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Satan used to be our master when we didn't know what was going on, but now we walk in the light of his word, the light of his righteousness and truth. Do not be conformed to the world anymore. Which leads us to our final exhortation. Be holy as I am holy. Holiness means to be devoted or dedicated to God, to be set aside for his special use and set apart from sin and its influences. God's qualities in our lives makes us different and our focus and priority become him and his way. We cannot become holy on our own, but God gives us his Holy Spirit to obey and gives us the power to overcome. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We're new creations in Christ. In Proverbs chapter 3, it says, My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of day and long life and peace they will add to you. And now verse 5. 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. His holiness gives us peace. It gives us joy. It gives us purpose. It gives us eternal life with him. Walk in faith, trusting his word. Hide it in our heart and be a sincere follower of Christ. And the final scripture I want to leave you with is Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. It says, No man that warth entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. Saints, we're a soldier because we're in the battle every single day. And the battle is for our minds. Gird up the loins of your mind by keeping it focused on Jesus. See you next week. God bless. For more information about Kendra Martin and Hope of Our Calling, you can email her at kendramartinministries at gmail.com or visit the website at www.hopeofourcalling.org.